Quick intro, a couple episodes ago, I discussed having launched a podcast a few years ago, right? Well, it failed because I didn't have a service like Anchor to support my podcast. And then I got to thinking, well, what happened to all those old episodes? Because I hadn't logged into that account in a long time. It turns out that it was hosted uh, on a SoundCloud account. And the reason I stopped producing them was because, well, SoundCloud only gave me a finite amount of space or runtime or something like that. So I could only have like one or two episodes up at a time, depending on how long those episodes were. And so what I did was I figured out what my login was for SoundCloud. I went in and I downloaded the last two episodes. It was episodes four and five, and I saved them. And... I deleted my SoundCloud account, and what you're going to hear now uh, are those episodes. Well, you'll first you'll hear episode four with special guest Mike Bailey. Michael Bailey is the star of my movie Death and Life, and we went to school together uh, later in life than most people go to college. So we 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 pursued our undergraduate degree after most people pursue their undergraduate degree. And that's how we met. And then he ended up starring in my movie, Death and Life. But before he did Death and Life, we recorded this podcast. And so that's what you're going to hear now. And, you're gonna, and I'm going to keep it all intact. So you'll hear the intro that I was using back then. You'll hear me introduce it as Eric's Outhouse because that was a brand that I really thought was going to take off and blow up for some reason. Maybe it was going to blow up like... I don't know, the outhouse in my brain every time I use it. (laughs) Anyway, here's Michael Bailey talking with me three years ago uh, from 2020. So I guess it would have been like, what, 2017, the spring of 2017. Uh, And we're talking about the importance of art. So it really does go along with this with this current podcast. Uh, Thanks, guys. And I'm happy to be here with my colleague, my friend, Eric Norcross. Pleasure to be here. Because I'm so full of love. Indubitably. Now I have to do my, my actual intro. Are you ready? I'm ready when you are. Hey, this is Eric, and welcome back to The Outhouse for our fourth installment of the monthly podcast. This is June 2017, and I'm here again with Mike. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Eric, for that warm introduction. I haven't figured out whether you want your last name said publicly. Well, Eric... Because I remember we avoided it during the vlog, and so it's been in my head that we should avoid it. Has that changed at all? You know, Eric, I've come to the conclusion that because there is over three plus million Mikes, Michaels, Mike Baileys, Michael Baileys roaming around, let's add another Michael Bailey to the mix, shall we? All right, Mike Bailey's here for the uh, fourth installment of Eric's Outhouse podcast. So last time we talked about relationships and friendships and art and fear and hatred today we are talking about mostly just art and film of course and i think as many of our viewers know art and film encompasses a broad category of different specializations and different stylizations but for today we're going to talk from art and film from our perspective of course this is an open forum so let us begin all right, so um, let's let's start with um, what you have done, what you want to do, because I, I know that um, when I first met you, you had been involved in the art world, but you were very disenchanted by it. I'm like, mm. I relate to this guy because <laughs> I'm so disenchanted by film, and we we kind of met as disenchanted people, mm-hmm. and now I've gone to dipped back into film you're dipping back into art so why don't let's talk about where have you been where are you going well of course eric i'd love to answer the questions of where have i been and where am i going but i think most pertinent to those 
two points of conversation is how did I first become, as you said, disenfranchised by art? How did I repel myself from from the uh, pantheon, from the echelons of the art world, and why am I back going into? Well, a very long story short, uh, as a printmaker, of course, starting off creating in the studio, producing, that's what I did. It's what I would love, of course, to get myself back into, but what brought me out of it to begin with was a sheer separation between the art world, the people who specialize in the art world, and of course those who observe, the audiences, the people that view it, that see it, and that level of disconnect. And so being primarily discouraged, I told myself, I need to leave it. I need the opportunity to evaluate who I am as an artist. But more pertinent than just the artist, who am I as a person? Now, of course, the question, and there are many questions, I'm certain, that will be answered today, but the most relevant is, why am I going back into it? Well, you see, folks, I have decided to put myself back into the world of art. How and why, of course. Instagram. Yes, I know, eight years late. I am still, I have just gotten myself into Instagram, and I have quickly discovered the power of Instagram. More than the idea of following and followers is the fact of sharing. And this idea of sharing art and making that accessible and making that a mobile platform and in real time uploading, connecting, sharing, and distributing content to people who can like it, who can appreciate it, to me that was enough encouragement to decide, you know, it would be wrong for me to not give myself the opportunity to fulfill something I've wanted to do for a long time. So it, in a way, goes back full circle. And of course, I'll delve into many details, but I think for those of you who are curious, who are either listening in or watching as we speak, we want to know a little bit about what made you uh, disenfranchised, what made you disenchanted. What was it that pulled you away and now is bringing you back into the clutches? Well, some of it I can talk about, some of it I cannot. But ultimately, it was um, really just the bad, a lot of bad business, um, a lot of uh, a lot of money, money issues, mm. but mostly just bad business dealings. Um, without going into specifics, uh, I had a production prior to enrolling at ESC. Um, which I could say was the biggest professional disaster of my life. Um, I essentially got involved in a feature f- film production mm-hmm. where the very no well we we and because there were quite a few people responsible did not get um, written agreements about who would contribute what what to the production and mm-hmm. what would happen if resources fell short and so a failing on the part of me and uh, some of the other people I were working with was basically that we went into a production without written contracts and that resulted in all of us thinking that we all got screwed over when really we were just all idiots Um, but more than that too like I think it made it worse too that we had produced this film under a SAG after agreement, which is a union for actors um, who do TV and film. And that made it 10 times worse because anybody who's ever been a signatory for a union knows that uh, they don't give a fuck if you don't got all your eggs in a row, if you don't have certain paperwork in line or certain money uh, lined up and it's like solid, like they just don't care, you know. Uh, and so we were basically a bunch of dumbasses uh, dealing with people who knew their shit. They knew the, they knew their contracts, and they essentially beat us to a pulp with it. And I was 
prior to that, I did operate a production company. I had some moderate success with some short films and some experimental films. I had picked up a few awards. Uh, but that, for some reason, just really took a lot out of me. Um, it put me into a big funk. And that's actually one of the reasons I went back to school, just to kind of get away from film for a while. Mm. And when you met me, I was still like kind of getting over that. Fuck, I have this huge production, which is looks really good. Uh, it's got a lot of professional actors, but I can't do anything with it because our contracts weren't there, you know, between mm. the people who were putting money into it. And so even now, like that film sits on a hard drive, relatively completed, but not fully completed. And there's a good chance I might not be able to do anything with it if we can't figure out a way to agree on expectations, like who mm. gets what if something happens with it. And so what I did throughout the spring was I actually nearly finished it on my own accord without really kind of bringing people back into it, mm -hmm. without really notifying a lot of people. Um, I have one friend who I'm, who from this production that I'm still friends with um, who had put money into it. He knew, he knows, and he knows who he is uh, that I've been working on it. But um, yeah, it's basically like it's at this point now where it's completely edited. Mm -hmm. Some moderate sound design has been done. Some temporary visual effects have been created as placeholders. Um, and supposedly it's currently being scored, though I haven't heard from the guy who's scoring it in like four months. So mm -hmm. it might not actually be being scored, but it's supposed to be being scored right now. And uh, yeah, so it's this completed feature film that is sitting waiting for completion but it can't really be completed uh, until we get all our ducks in a row so are you suggesting eric that what really brought you out of that was money yeah money's a fickle bitch so then having said that what brings you back to it why return um what brought me back into it was just uh inspiration man i came up with some really new ideas for films some unique ideas uh stuff that i think that if it was produced under um an umbrella of adequate funding and contracts uh that these things could really be successful and that's really kind of all it takes is uh, a little bit of inspiration and belief that this new idea will work out as long as things go the way they should you know, it's interesting, Eric, because what kind of brought you out was uh, of what you're now getting back into was money. And for me, it's in some ways, it's quite the opposite. What's bringing me, what is bringing me back into it is the goal of being self-financed, of being self-funded, of setting up a company, a parent company, of viewing the work, of course, as the work, as a vessel for your concepts, for your ideas. But mm. interestingly enough, and certainly an ideal ideal I've held myself to is I don't view myself so much as a creator as I do as a as a producer I produce product and certainly the process of creating that process is pure onto itself medium the artist but what I view as an actual product and so in going to and for those of you who were at Art Expo at Context Art Fair, Art Fair New York, at Freeze, at TFAF, or the European Fine Art uh, Fair, and even at the Conception Art Fair, which have all ended just this past weekend. Uh, there was, above many things, money, curators, gallerists, artists, the whole, all the players in this grand central play. Uh, now, I'm curious, Eric, to know, since you've been brought back into the fold, what are your plans? What are your goals? What are you thinking? What is well, churning through your mind? The big thing is, you know, continuously pushing to get this movie finished. I think it's hard, though, because this particular project, because of all the bad contracts, has resulted in me not being able to get more financing to actually complete it. 
Some of it I was able to conjure up a little bit of resources, non-financial resources mainly, to uh, shoot some of the stuff that I needed shot, like the aerials. You saw one of the aerials actually just now. Um, and, you know, stuff that doesn't involve enormous amounts of resources. Like with an aer aerial photography, I can go up with my own camera uh, using a pilot who's, who's in my network already uh, and just circling the areas that I needed. Uh, three years ago, I wouldn't have done it that way. And so it's sort of like reinventing and reinventing. And so right now I have to figure out how to bring this thing home right without making any more sacrifices. Uh, but at the same time, too, I'm currently planning other projects uh, completely different than when I was trying uh, three years ago, probably four years now. Yeah, it's actually been over four years now. Um, but I'm going to start off small. So my goal this week is to start pre-production of a short film. Uh, about indie filmmaking because I want to get all the stuff off my chest artistically mm -hmm. um, and so I got a meeting about that tomorrow actually um, and then I also have um, a short horror film that I want to do and I have an actress lined up for that hoping to shoot that Friday mm -hmm. and then uh, of course it'll all by the time this podcast goes live it'll have been done hopefully both of these will have mm -hmm. been done uh, but then I also was developing a project for you um, that's still a work in progress, though. Uh, it's a matter of getting like people on board that, which has been very difficult. Um, but that's that's an interesting thing because it's supposed to be like a good, moderately length film, which would be largely improvised, mm. which is very appealing to me. Um, so kind of like a New York Street film with just an outline, and uh, I love those kinds of movies. Um, and I want to make one. But then I also um, have two feature-length screenplays I've been developing, one of which I kind of wrote in a day, the entire thing, and now I'm kind of going back into that to fine-tune it. And then i got another one that I'm currently taking some more time with. Um, well, one of the other things I'm doing, too, with all of these projects is I've been developing them so that I could develop my skills on camera. Because yeah. I don't really act. I'm not an actor. But I've always stepped in and played parts in my own stuff when people don't show up. And I'd realized this this spring that I actually have enough for a reel, to, for have an acting reel. And so what I'm thinking about now doing is um, with the horror short that I want to shoot on Friday, with the indie filmmaking uh, short that I'm meeting about tomorrow, um, with all these projects... I want to develop roles that kind of tap into like my natural, uh, who I am naturally, so that I can start being on camera more. So, actor, producer, director, uh, content publisher, writer, writer, of course. First, <laughs> I, think, I think writers, writers, first. Writer. first and foremost. I'm curious to know, I mean, these all seem like individual endeavors, but what, if you could comment a little bit more on whether or not they all feed, do they feed to a single point? Do they feed back to your writing? Or are these, simply as you expressed, things you do to get off your chest? As I think the first thing is they feed just getting things off my chest so um, I could take and I'll take this bit by bit so let's talk about that the first film that ever that I ever got into a film festival mm -hmm. that I ever won an award was a film called Carolina Virginia <laughs> that was a film that I had floating in my head for many years it started with the 2005 transit strike in New York City um, all these uh, trains and buses were shut down uh, because of this strike and I couldn't commute into work and that's sort of Gave me this idea uh, for this story about a deaf woman and a musician who build a relationship, uh, and I had I had it in my head how this story would go and how it would end with all sound fading out and both of them going deaf, uh, and certain things like that stew for a long time until it gets to a certain point when I have to just get it off my chest and do it, and so. 
what's happening now is I'm taking my not just my ideas that I have to get off my chest or what have you, but like my, now my anxieties or my bitterness or my any any negative feelings, and I'm trying to turn it into something that's fun, entertaining, but also as an outlet for me to grow as an artist. So, uh, for example, one of the feature screenplays I'm developing with myself in mind is about this paramedic who gets disenchanted by his job. Mm. Uh, essentially, in this story, uh, he's about to save somebody's life when somebody comes up to that patient and shoots him in the head. And it's supposed to be like this um, allegory for like my disenchantment with the film industry. Uh, it's just like just when you're about to do it, somebody comes up and gets in the way or something comes up and gets in the way. And uh, it's like with that feature film I just told you about. Mm -hmm. uh, we were about to do it. We've got all this really great professional looking footage, but money got in the way. And so what happens, though, is this paramedic goes back home to kind of take a little breather from life in the city, mm -hmm. goes to upstate New York, and he reconnects with his brother. And so it becomes about brothers and um, I would play the the brother who's still living at home because I know that that's what I'm fully capable of. <laughs> um, and uh, it's sort of about the anxiety of living in the mid-30s, not fully achieving or being happy with your life. Um, for example, the brother I'm going to play, he works as a security guard uh, guarding the uh, Croton Aqueduct, which is the water supply that feeds New York City. And what we reveal in uh, this story is that he actually wants to be a pilot. And so you got one brother who's an EMT and he doesn't know if it's the right job for him. He's really disenchanted by it. You got another brother who is not in the jo right job at all. He's just in a placeholder job that he's had since his early 20s. Uh, and they're, one's 35, the other's in almost 40. And it's like they feel their lives are hitting that peak and they haven't really accomplished anything. And so there's a lot of truth to that as far as how I feel um, that, you know, I'm going to be 36 in June. Uh, and, um, you know, I've only won a few awards that nobody cares about. Beyond that, do I really have a career? Do I really have a life as a filmmaker that I thought I'd have? And, and so this is my way of getting that stuff out. But then I also have, like, projects where it's more specifically focused on film. Um, I, the one that I wrote, the screenplay that I wrote in an entire day was actually largely based on my experience at film school where uh, this, this character straight out of high school goes to her first day at college and her film instructor says, congratulations, you, you've just wasted your tuition because the, the likelihood of you getting a job in this industry is very slim. And that was something that was said to me on my first day at film school. And uh, that's that's the kind of thing that sticks with you and, and continues to bother me. Uh, and so these screenplays are outlets to deal with that. To cope when, you, with that. when you refer to that, you're talking about the sort of cynicism that people... I, I, I think that they're trying to make light of the fact that they're collecting tuition from people who might just not get work. It's, um, it's, a, it's an old thing that goes on with a lot of these technical schools. Well, what I'm curious to know, the professor who said that, have they... They are been... not professors, they're instructors. <laughs> the instructor yeah. who said that to you, uh, had they at the time, or do they still, even now, are they active? Are they a contributor, a participant? None of the people, I don't remember his name, but none of the people who taught there are teaching there. And I know that I suspect it might have been the directing instructor because um, you had a person who taught producing, mm. directing, screenwriting, all the basic functions of filmmaking because it was a film foundation course. Mm. And the guy who directed basically um, quit partway through the first term because he had get, get, he got an offer in Israel to direct something. And so I, I think that for a lot of people – when they teaching film, it's essentially like holding them over unless until they can get actual film directing work. Uh, that's that was the way I kind of well, viewed the reality. The reality. Let's talk about the reality. 
do you feel given the that experience you at that time versus you now do you feel there was a a shortfall in terms of being equipped in understanding the realities of what it means to produce a film of yeah. what it means to get funding for a film to direct oh, yeah. a film and that still exists today like i still don't really know because i know people now like my network is much bigger i know people who have won all of these huge awards sundance tribeca mm-hmm. um i even know a few academy award winners who can't get fucking work and they can't get their films financed not even by independent people uh and it's just uh it's scary um that when you've done a film produced by major people and it's actually gone places and it's considered a cult classic or what have you, that you still have trouble getting financed. So what you're suggesting is even if one can be brought whatever level of success, there is still, despite that success, no uh, guarantee or no full assurance that that there's always the question of, will I get this financed? Can I get the support? Yeah. Can I get the funding? You know, it's, as my buddy Matt told me a couple of years ago, you're always going to have to look for money no matter how successful your last project was. And you might not always get it. You most likely won't always get it. And is that something you grappled with then? Or is it something that still holds true even now? I think it's truer now because film is, is getting much harder to finance uh, because of the advent of, you know, Netflix and places like that where people just don't really have to pay much to view movies that they know that they already like. Um, you know, right now it's it's not even like movie stars that can get things financed. It's the property. So if you look at like Marvel or the DC universes, those are very easy to finance for obvious reasons. Um, you know, you look how long it took Tom Cruise to reboot. You know, even though he makes money, like it took it was a huge window between when he's kind of slowed down and then was able to get another Mission Impossible made. It's just stardom doesn't matter anymore. So if you have a, a star on the hook, it doesn't mean you're going to get financed. Hmm. Um, I would have thought that something like. Netflix would have been encouraging for you because it, in a way, breaks down a sort of model of relying on... The problem is with Netflix, a lot of the indie films that are on there aren't turning out um, returns for the filmmakers who made them. So, essentially, a lot of them are getting in there through these um, hole-in-the-wall distributors who basically offer nothing for them. But they already have a deal with Netflix to provide content. So what they do is they go to these film festivals and they get these filmmakers to sign the rights to their projects over, uh, but they're not really paying for them. Uh, they're not paying a lot. Hmm. And so um, essentially, I'd essentially be providing free uh, content. Hmm. And Amazon very much functions the same way. So despite these and we'll use the word barriers we'll use it very loosely there's more i'm certain you'll think of much better words but despite these circumstances you still seem you're you're still encouraged you're still Um, or are you cautiously optimistic the thing is is a long time ago i kind of accepted the reality that it's okay if I don't make it as a person who's able to sell tickets as long as I can find a way to keep making films. And while it does get harder to maintain that idea, um, it continues to hold true in the sense that, and I'm going to actually taper back for a bit. A few weeks ago, I was asked by a former high school teacher to come back up and talk about my career as a filmmaker, and I quote-unquote say career, because um, I was really taken aback by that word, career. I don't 
have a career. Um, I've never been paid to make a film that I've made and never sold a film, so I don't see how that's a career. Uh, and what I, I got to thinking about it, and what I kind of accepted was, well, I could talk about my life as a filmmaker, because I do live a life as a filmmaker, and, I, and that can't be argued. And so if I can find a way to li continue living my life as a filmmaker and get these things turned out, um, then that's good enough. But the problem comes with uh, the reality that I might not get the audience that will truly appreciate it without the financing to get it out there. Because they won't find you otherwise. Um, and even like any artist knows that without the ability to promote and talk about your work, people just won't notice you. I mean, think about um, the short films that I've had out there for over 10 years now have you know, nothing's changed. The links are the same, but they don't, their views, maybe I'll get a couple of views a year because uh, there's just so much out there that you need a certain level of finance and a certain level of production value to be seen. Um, and so, yeah, I'm fulfilling, I'm being fulfilled artistically on certain fronts, but at the same time, like there's that other side that I kind of need this stuff to be seen if I'm going to keep doing it. Um, so in a way, there is a sort of prerequisite of these are the certain things I must meet. Like you said, a certain level of financing, et cetera, et cetera. If there is the opportunity or the possibility of the opportunity to gain exposure, to get people talking about it, to get people seeing it. I mean, what what's a work of art if people are having a conversation about it? Um, and that that goes back to what we were talking about in the previous podcast. You know, it's about getting people together and communicating. I mean, the best part, you know, when I went to the David Lynch marathon at IFC a few weeks ago, the best part was standing in line with all the other David Lynch fans talking about this stuff. Because, um, you know, we've all seen the films. We probably all owned the criterion of the film we were seeing. Mm -hmm. But, like, we were there because it's about the getting together with the people who appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate that I'm, I have the opportunity to live in a part of the world where somebody can live their life as a filmmaker. Um, but at the same time, we also live in a world that... Um, needs it needs we need a constant way of being able to function and uh, unless there's some kind of shift a paradigm shift or, or what have you uh, I don't know something's got to give you know I don't know what the answer is I mean I would really like something I would I would love to see uh, some way to be successful and seen as a success without it operating under a capitalist umbrella, but that's considered extremely unrealistic. Uh, but at the same time, being successful under a capitalist umbrella as a filmmaker or an artist is also extremely unrealistic. So it's just like, what does one do when this is all they want to do and they don't have the resources to do it? That level of... Uh... Uh, as you framed it, that level of, uh, and I would, as I hear you speak, uh, certainly as a filmmaker and uh, certainly of your experiences as a filmmaker, uh, it puts into context, it shifts uh, and really frames uh, the idea of, certainly as an artist, as you mentioned prominently artist writer person who does poetry the question uh, is how do you gain a level of exposure where people simply talk about it what are the mechanisms or facets that as you've iterated numerous times not only allow you to live it but by that same extension do it uh, practice it produce it and generate an overwhelming response that people are interested, 
people want to know more about it. People want to talk about it. People want to share it. And in one way, I don't want to use the words. It's no matter how you look at it, no matter what word you use, it's not easy. But I feel in a way as an artist, you have some advantage because you at least have a, as you referenced, community of people who are interested, who talk about it, who you know have at least seen. And to reference your example, David Lynch, people in that line, they've watched it, they've seen it, they've talked about it, they've shared it. So as difficult as it is to get that financing, I also think it's perhaps easy because you know what venues, where your community is, you know how to find that community. And what I mean, and I will reference myself specifically, art fairs. When you start out, seems scary don't know anyone don't know very much film festivals don't know anyone you're just there by yourself but what i like about art is you have in my case a more direct channel because i can go to those gallerists i can go see the artists i can talk to those people and i suppose in that sense for me it's easy because i go in thinking okay just go in be fearless, talk to them, generate a sense of excitement or enthusiasm. And 90% of the time they come to you because you're making enough noise that you've, or you've generated enough interest that now they're curious. Who is this guy? He's looking at the work. He's talking about the work. He's actively engaging me. So for me, in a way, it's easier because because I am going at least thinking to myself, I am who I am. I am an artist. I am a person. But in meeting someone you've never met before, there is a fantastic opportunity to be whoever you want to be. You get to act a little bit. They've never met you, and maybe they won't meet you. Won't meet you again. But. Or maybe they will, much like Art Basel Miami, which I will be going down to in December, early December. But for me, at least, it's knowing that you share something in common. Much at those David Lynch, at that line going into David to see that David Lynch film. You know you share something in common. That in itself, that commonality, becomes a launch point. Now the difficulty, of course, in regards to our last conversation is the relationship aspect. Building that relationship. Maintaining that relationship. That is certainly can be just as much work, perhaps more work for some, as it is getting the financing, getting the capital. Uh, and it all seems very overwhelming I make no mistake about it it is overwhelming it can be overwhelming but I can't also ignore the fact that there's so many opportunities to have access or to allow others to have access to your content and yes Consequently, there are more people. There's more content. There's a lot more filmmakers, a lot more artists, a lot more writers, because the mediums and the tools allow for it. But it's also a greater opportunity to distinguish yourself from your peers, from your colleagues, if that's the goal. And at least for myself as an artist, of course, what I want, what I produce, I want to be the focus. But perhaps key to that interest, key to that excitement is me. 
maybe I have to be just as energetic, as enthusiastic, as gregarious as my work. Maybe that is simply as much key to the work I produce. Maybe more so. So, perhaps, given all this, it is, for me, more of a duality of the person and the work. Whereas in your case, Eric, maybe it is about the work, about the film. Mm. Maybe the film itself uh, is so much more critical than than the person. I, again, you speak more from that experience. And again, that's what makes it so overwhelming. That's what uh, distills, distills it back down to risk versus reward. Because you can have, as you said, you can have a great film, wins a lot of awards at, at various festivals, make another film, little reception to the previous Maybe the question isn't so much just about the idea of financing or the idea of generating excitement as it is about how do you build and maintain a consistent value? How do you consistently deliver that same response, that same experience, that same feedback? Yeah, it's a great question. How do you? Controversy. Well, <laughs> controversy is one element, and that can certainly be a tool. But I don't. I'm of the mindset that controversy. I don't believe controversy is the only thing. Yeah. I mean, for instance, and I'm speaking very from a very rudimentary standpoint. Instagram. Do I, do I love it? Yes, because I can share artwork. But as I'm sharing artwork, I'm thinking to myself, well, wouldn't that be fantastic if I can share artwork via Instagram to people all across the United States, all over the world? Then I'm thinking, okay, if I can do that, is there an idea of what I can do with that? How far can we take this idea? What can we make of that idea? Sharing art. Get access, giving access to art. Okay, what about artists giving access to artists okay what about that was me by the way in case anyone was wondering yes that's my iphone (laughs) so now i'm thinking now that there's a a basis of an idea now i'm curious to know okay is can this be something i do a compliment to the art i will do or is this separate so it brings a whole series of questions the answers of which I don't have on if I'm speaking honestly but by that same token I'm excited because I want to know now I mean will I always be an artist in life yeah it's how I began my career back in 2008. It's what brought me to New York. It's not what I'm doing right now. But it's certainly proven time and time again that as a sort of cyclical process, I'm brought back to it. I'm brought back to my roots. I'm brought back to my humanism. I'm brought back to what makes me human, what allows me to identify myself as an individual. Yeah, I feel that. And quite frankly, in this past five days, in all the art fairs, talking to all the people, I have never felt more fulfilled. And and that level of fulfillment, that sort of confidence in myself, even if it's short-term, even if it's lingering, I haven't felt that since... 
They say that if you like who you are the moment you're doing what you think you love, then you should continue doing it. And it feels like you were at this art fair doing what you loved and you liked who you were in that moment. Precisely. And that's sort of like it, like what it is when um, I'm at these film festivals. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I like who I am generally when I'm making movies, but at the same time, I also don't like being a boss. <laughs> so right. at the... But what I do like, and, and, and I think that I function as myself, in, as the best version of myself, is when I'm at these film festivals talking about the work. And um, having a piece of my own work to talk about, of course, but at the same time, just like talking with other filmmakers who also are in that mode. Um, and it seems like you know, you're know you communicating with artists as well who are at the top of their game. They're probably Absolutely. also feeling the same way like this is who I am this is I love who I am while I'm at this art fair. precisely and this is so what this is what I should be doing and it's interesting I mean through Instagram I've been I've been communicating to to a number of contemporary artists through Instagram so people you would think <laughs> okay these are artists at it's the top of their games tool but the fact that I can directly contact and talk to these people through Instagram that I would have never thought possible but the fact I'm doing that it shows you how much more direct they are or how accessible people can be. Yeah. And maybe it is a question of finding the right tools. Uh, I found that with Twitter right as methods. well. Um, and for instance, you know, of someone who started collecting artwork as well, you know, as a person who was formerly in business looking for work in business again, a former artist becoming an artist and a collector. So... Obviously, I know that when you say you're a collector, people are a lot more receptive to talking to you because they're like, oh. You'll buy this stuff. You'll buy this stuff. You have money. <laughs> you, you might be important. A potential client. Right. But at the same time, I'm not lying. I am a collector. It's just I'm very particular about what I buy. But the point in prefacing all of this is you begin to understand not only who you are as a filmmaker, as an artist, but also where do you belong as an artist, as a filmmaker, in this, in this large theater. What is your role? What is your place? And that's not to say stay in that place and do that one thing, but it's asking the genuine question of where do I want to be in this larger community do i want to be a participant a contributor a person who critiques do i want to be a person who supports through a philanthropic mode of buying collecting emerging artists i think the most well-rounded way to approach it is to kind of dabble in all of it precisely Precisely. Now, the, I know for you, for artists out there, they have an old saying, you know, uh, master of one, tradesman of none. Uh, but I don't believe that. It, I mean, you can certainly spend your energy being very great at one thing. And if you can, you should. But I'm of the mindset that Art or film does not simply operate in one realm alone, isolated of everything. I agree. It just can't. The, you know, art is only popular because of the controversy. It's only it's popular, made and enhanced in in access because of Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, because of social media, because of celebrities because of brands like Louis Vuitton, Calvin Klein, uh, BMW, Mercedes, because of financial institutions that buy the work, that because they support these art fairs, because of all these mechanisms and this backlog of infrastructure that connects and plays into shaping, molding, forming, undulating the art world, the art world. Very broadly, the art world in its entirety, much as I imagine film. Yeah. 
Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the uh, fashion designers just now, because fashion is an interesting thing because <coughs> we could take. We've been talking largely about art in the traditional sense, sculpting, painting, and film. Uh, but you know, fashion is a form of art that provides a practical use but can also stimulate a whole lot of conversation and uh, communication, you know. Um, it's, and actually, some of my Facebook friends might remember this because um, we were involved together s several years back when a very avant-garde fashion designer named Miguel Adrover did a runway for Fashion Week, um, and I had the opportunity to photograph it. And uh, he had a lot of very impractical stuff. Um, you know, his fashion had his hats, for example, had hands coming off the top of it, which nobody in their right mind would wear outside of the Lower East Side. And, <laughs> um, and, and there was some other stuff, very risque, more risque than is practically necessary in any climate. Um, but the conversations that came from it, you know, we were talking about it for, I mean, we're talking about it four or five years later. So it's like that in itself is, is, is fascinating. And even though there's no practical use in society for a lot of the stuff this guy creates, uh, the fact that he had a full house in this huge space full of very, very uh, important media people and fashion people, uh, and that it got a a lot of conversations going about like what he had done uh, and, I, and I think that like if we can like figure out how to make that the normality as far as what to expect as an artist or what have you that'd be interesting well I think that poignantly gets to cr to creating a conversation yeah a, a dialogue as I've said before everything the art the environment, the setup, the fairs, those are all tools, uh, in my belief, those are simply tools to facilitate a dialogue, to begin a conversation, to set a tone, to set a precedence. So we've just looped in fashion into our conversation, for those of you who are just tuning in to the live feed uh. <laughs> absolutely and I think it's important to mention that when we we again speak very broadly but we are of course Eric and I and I will allow Eric to speak for himself of the mindset that that what that while it is absolutely easy and I don't use the word easy even then but For someone who has experienced what it's like to have a more stable job, to work in finance, I'm now beginning to understand that even then, that career of what I want to do serves a purpose of the work I want to do. And I think it's clear to say that wherever I go or whoever I may become, one year, five years, ten years, two weeks later, uh, there, the common or the singular point in that long string of continuum that is my life, that is the experience of life, that visual art is that singular point that brings me back and reminds me of what I am or who I am and reminds me doesn't keep me trapped there, but it reminds me of why I began this, uh, of why I got into visual art, why I became, want to once again become part of contemporary art. And I wonder for you, Eric, is film that anchor point, or is it very fluid? I think it's an anchoring point, because, um, I mean... I always go back to it. Um, when I 
left film school. I was very much in filmmaking mode, but then I got out of it so I could shift my move, my mindset to move to New York. And for several years, I was out of it. But then I went back to it, and then I was out of it again. And then I went back to it for ten years. Um, and then I was out of it for three years. <laughs> now mm-hmm. I'm back to it. And I think if you go, if you find yourself going back to it, even after all these years, I think that's the that makes it an anchor. Mm. You just got to look at the timeline and. And it is, in a way, so sad that for many years I fought against the idea of going back into art, that I had such a held preconception of this isn't safe, this isn't security, this isn't stable. It's Don't not supposed do it. to be. That's what you're, you got to make it work for you. Right. And <laughs> the times that I fought against that, and I wonder now in this past week of going to all these fairs, meeting all these artists, if I had what I did in this past week had done all those years ago and said to myself, yes, I do need to get a job, but be willing to take that risk and say, whatever happens, I believe in myself enough to do this. And there may be points of stability as much as there are points of scarcity, but I do this because it's you. It's me. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, too, because I was thinking as I was giving my last response, um, somebody may might think, well, who were you before you started doing this stuff? Wouldn't that be like who you are? Uh, and uh, so I, I'm thinking about like my days before I started doing movies. And because I didn't really start making films until my sophomore, no, my junior year of high school, which mm-hmm. is pretty late in life for a lot of filmmakers. Um, a lot of them, if you read their bios and stuff, they started out with a super rate when they were kids. Mm-hmm. That was definitely not me. And I realized, though, in thinking about this through, through the course of your previous response, that my life didn't really start till I started making movies. Um, when I was younger, my grades were piss poor. My social life was shit. Um, I, I even had to resort to homeschooling in the seventh grade because I was just not functioning well in society mm-hmm. and um, around people, peers, and teachers. Uh, and when I started taking this video technology course at the Portland Arts and Technology High School in Portland, Maine, uh, my life started coming together. My first friends were people who were like actors in my first movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in my senior year of high school, when I decided to do my first feature, uh, it just kept growing. And just kind of finding myself as a filmmaker kind of gave me that life that most people seem to find on their own accord. Um, and that sort of has been what has driven me this whole time is um, most of the life I found has been through my life as a filmmaker, and I think that that's how I know too. Like that's why I keep coming back to it, and that's how I know it's my anchor. Absolutely, uh, like Eric, my high school was difficult. I uh, certainly considered myself awkward in some respect. I was more of the lone wolf. Wolf. Yep. I do my own thing. If we're friends, great. If we're not, okay. No animosity. I'll talk to anyone and everyone if you want to talk to me. But, like Eric, I started doing art. Admittedly, I started at a younger age. I started at eight years of age, much as many seem to early on. And I noticed that if you're vested and you're interested enough in what you do, people around you will begin looking and they'll start becoming interested enough that they'll come to you. Sort of like your passion transfers to them if, if you're passionate enough. Right. And they'll yeah. notice that. They'll, they'll pick up on that and they'll start gravitating towards you. And they'll be like, what is he doing? Why is it? That's kind of oh, interesting. This, this person's actually genuinely excited and I want to be too. Yeah, what's I want to know what, what's, what is he doing? Can I yeah. be a part of that? <laughs> Can I? So I just found simply... By being what I was, who I was, doing what I believed, people wanted to wrap themselves around that. And they wanted to be 
engaged in that or part of that or contribute in some way as part of that. And I found, like you, as soon as I started doing that, things came together. Yep. You know, this was a great podcast. It was a great number four and a sequel to our a previous one, but we're approaching the hour mark, so we're going to have to call it quits. But I would like to end this with a big howl from the lone wolves that are slowly building a wolf pack of winners. Want to do that? Are you ready to howl? We're actually going to howl. We're going to howl. One, two. We're doing this. Three. Oh! <laughs> well, folks, <laughs> thank you again for having me on. Eric, an absolute pleasure to all the listeners, to all the viewers. We always we in, encourage and implore you to stop by. Give us a like. Give us a comment. We are an open forum. Eric, thank you again. I can't tell you how excited I am to be a part of this new endeavor. Thank you, Mike. And uh, thanks, everybody. For those of you who uh, weren't listening to the previous podcast, uh, Mike, tell them your Instagram. Of course, uh, folks, my name is Mike Bailey. Again, you can find me on Instagram. My full Instagram tag is Bailey. Again, that's Mike C. I. Bailey with dots in between. Of course, Mike C. I. Bailey. Of course, also go to Eric's Instagram Follow him, like his pages. We appreciate any support because From it's with- all of all of those who, uh, who might be new. Every single one of my social media is labeled as Eric's Outhouse, not because everything is shit, but because sometimes you might need to shit. Thanks, everybody.